As we get started, I'd like you to think about a time when you've been in between two things. Between jobs, maybe, as you leave one and look for another. Between homes, as you relocate from one neighborhood or town or country to another. Between relationships, the friendship kind or the romantic kind. In between is an uncomfortable place to be. It's unfamiliar, for one thing. The job, the home, the friend you used to know isn't there anymore. Your old rhythms and routines don't work anymore. In between is uncertain for another. You don't know what the new job or home or friend will be like, or how long it will take to find it, or if you'll like it as much as the last one. And because it's unfamiliar and uncertain, in between is uncomfortable. You're neither here nor there, so you're not sure where you are, or who you are, or what you're supposed to be doing. Now, I don't know if any of those particular situations apply to you personally right now, but collectively, we're all in an in-between time right now, as families, as a nation, as a church. We're in between a pre- and post-pandemic world. After nearly two years, we've come to realize that the life we used to know at school and work and church isn't coming back. But the new reality hasn't arrived yet, and we don't know when it will or what it will look like. It brings to mind a song lyric from the 70s. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Only now we're stuck in the middle with each other. And it's unfamiliar and uncertain and uncomfortable. How do we navigate this strange time we're in? Where do we find joy and direction and strength? Well, the people of Israel found themselves in a similar situation a couple of thousand years ago. After many generations in the land God had promised to them, they found themselves in exile. Conquered by the Babylonians, they were marched hundreds of miles across the desert to be resettled in the pagan land of Babylon. They would spend the next 70 years there before being given permission to return to their homeland. But they didn't know that at the time. All they knew was that they were far from home, far from everything that was familiar to them, their fields, their villages, their businesses, and their temple, and having no idea when or if they would ever go home again. It was an in-between time of the very worst kind, affecting every aspect of their lives. But God had a message for them in that time, a message he had delivered generations earlier through the prophet Isaiah. And that message contained promises. Promises that would not only see them through that in-between time, but would prepare the way for better times to come. And those are the promises we're going to be considering in this series, a series we're calling Promise Land. Not promised land, as if it's a physical place we hope to arrive at someday, but promised land. Because it's a spiritual space we can live in today, a landscape shaped by the presence and promises of God. But before we go any further, 
I would like you to hear from the prophet himself. The words you're about to hear come from Isaiah chapter 40, which marks the beginning of the second half of Isaiah's book, which is the portion we're going to be focusing on in this series. So as you listen to these words from God, spoken through his prophet, try to imagine how they would have sounded to people living in an unfamiliar, uncertain, uncomfortable time. In other words, people like us. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I heard a voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice said, Cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? All people are like grass. And their faithfulness is like the flowers in the field. The grass withers and the the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. They wither and fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice and shout, lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He he gathers the lambs in his arms and he, he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and puts silver chains upon it. A person who cannot afford such an item instead selects fine wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled worker to make an idol that will not fall down. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been explained to you from the beginning, since the very foundation of the world? The Lord sits enthroned above the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a a tent to live in. He brings down princes and the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they sown, no sooner do they they take root in the ground, then he blows on them and they are gone. The wind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and, and, and look to the heavens. 
who created these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? He has forgotten my cause. (laughs) Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and no one can fathom his understanding. He gives strength to the weary and power to the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men will stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. From Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11 and 18 through 31. Isaiah 40 is one of the most magnificent passages in all of Scripture. If you were to be stranded on a desert island and had only one chapter of the Bible with you, this may be the one you'd want to have. It it covers all the great themes of Scripture. And even though it doesn't mention Jesus by name, it clearly points to him as the fulfillment of all God's promises. In fact, it's sometimes called the fifth gospel because it's got so much good news. Well, a little background before we dig in here. Isaiah prophesied during the days of the divided kingdom from about 740 to 701 BC. If you remember your Old Testament history, for a hundred years or so, the kingdom of Israel was united under kings like Saul and David and Solomon. But at that point, the kingdom divided north and south, each one ruled by a series of good and bad kings. And for the most part, the days of the divided kingdom were days of spiritual stubbornness and and rebellion. As the people turned to idolatry, they formed alliances with pagan nations, and they ignored God's commands to care for the poor and extend shalom to the surrounding nations. Throughout this troubled period, God sent prophets to call the nation back to himself and to warn them of the dire consequences if they continued in their idolatry and rebellion. Isaiah was one of those prophets. He introduces himself and his message in the opening verses of chapter 1. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So Isaiah ministered publicly for about 40 years under these four kings. And that public ministry is recorded in the first half of Isaiah's book, chapters 1 through 39. And it was primarily a message of rebuke and judgment, with occasional glimpses of hope. We get a feel for that message in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, 
but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, and the donkey his owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. So how do you think this message was received? (laughs) Yeah, not well. In my experience as a preacher, I have found that people don't mind hearing about other people's sins. They just don't want to hear about their own sins. (laughs) Especially when you tell them they're as dumb as donkeys. (laughs) So so following the reign of Hezekiah, when a wicked king named Manasseh came to power, Isaiah was forced underground. And during these years, Isaiah was given words and images that would speak to God's people a couple of hundred years later when they found themselves in exile. So he wrote the visions down, or at least the seed thoughts of them, and entrusted them to his disciples to be brought out at a later time when the nation would need them. And to make a complicated story simple, it's these words and images that we find in chapters 40 through 66. They're words of promise to people living in an in-between time. And they're as relevant to us today as they were those thousands of years ago. So before we look at some of those words, let's talk for just a minute about promises, what they are, why they matter. Uh, We can define a promise as a declaration that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. So a promise is stronger than a statement or, or even a prediction. A promise is pretty much a guarantee that a certain thing will happen. People make promises all the time. Amazon Prime promises to deliver your package in two days. A bride and groom promise to love each other till death do them part. Parents promise to take the family to Disney next summer. Politicians promise to fight for the middle class. Now, whether or not people keep those promises is another story, and we'll come back to that in a few minutes. But generally speaking, a promise is a good thing. If you promise something bad will happen, it's it's more like a threat than a promise. Promise implies something good, something desirable. So let's look at some of the things that Isaiah promises the people of Israel when they find themselves in exile. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Imagine how those words must have sounded to people living far from home. People who suffered displacement and humiliation because of their stubbornness and rebellion. Think about the weariness of that march across the wilderness. The stress and strain of starting over. The the frustration of trying to find their way in a new strange land. It had taken a toll. The people were tired. Their spirits were worn out, and they weren't sure how much longer they could carry on. And we know something about that, don't we? We're tired of this pandemic 
that just won't quit. We're tired of masks and quarantines and canceled plans. We're tired of feeling anxious every time we have a scratchy throat or, or walk into a public space or have to find a PCR test. We're tired of Zoom meetings and remote learning and virtual everything. I was talking with a high school senior uh, last Sunday after church. And as we talked about SATs and college plans, I realized that all three of his high school years have been compromised by COVID. I mean, think about how, how important, how formative your high school years were. For millions of students, school has not been what it used to be or what it's supposed to be. Uh, nor has work or church or travel or any other aspect of life. One commentator writes, Isaiah had a message for a people whose world had been shattered. Now, our world hasn't been shattered, maybe, but it's certainly been shaken. And the first thing Isaiah promises to people like that, the first word out of his mouth for an in-between time is comfort. Comfort my people. He says it twice so we don't miss it. Comfort implies relief, the assurance that things are going to be okay. Comfort is that, that warm feeling we get when someone throws their arm around us in a hard time and lets us know they're with us. It's that sense of calm we get when we sit down to a familiar meal or curl up with a favorite blanket that's been with us through thick and thin. Uh, many of us can't can't read these words without hearing them in a tenor's voice. The opening lines of Handel's Messiah floating across the room and settling on us with a sense of peace. Comfort, comfort ye my people. Well, we could use some comfort today, couldn't we? The assurance that, that things are going to be okay that God is with us and for us, that he hasn't forgotten or turned away, comfort. The second thing he promises is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Look at verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Think about the burden of guilt they've been carrying, knowing it was their foolishness and rebellion that got them in this mess. They'd thumbed their nose at God and his ways, bringing a heartache on themselves and their children. But now, suddenly and finally, they're forgiven. The debt's been paid in full. They're off the hook. And, and we could use some forgiveness, could we? Now, I'm not saying that this pandemic is some kind of judgment on God's part. But surely it has exposed the brokenness and the inequities of our world and its systems. On a personal level, selfishness, anger, judgmentalism, and division have surfaced in some ugly ways. We have not been our best selves so the promise of forgiveness is like music to our ears 
and our hearts. Comfort, forgiveness, but ultimately he promises rescue. Rescue. Let's look at verse 3. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The prophet promises that God will come to them, that he will remove the obstacles and level the playing field and reveal his goodness, not only to his people, but to the whole world. The the unpromising landscape will be transformed into a highway that would lead them home. And it was. After 70 years, God kept that promise and they returned home, rescued from their exile. And we'd love to be rescued from the mess we're in, too, wouldn't we? To be on the other side of all this. (laughs) To be free to move about the country. To see our families. To gather for worship. To breathe easily. And we trust that one day we will be on the other side of this. But here's the bigger thing that we haven't mentioned yet. We're not only living between a pre- and post-pandemic world. We're living between the first and second coming of Christ. We just celebrated Christmas. Christ coming to earth to bring comfort and forgiveness and rescue, which he did. Uh, The Gospels quote these very words to announce Jesus' arrival 700 years after they were written. as as a demonstration that God keeps his promises. But the promise of these words hasn't yet been fully realized. Uh, The kingdom is here, Jesus brought it, but it's not here in its fullness. As theologians like to say, the kingdom is now, but not yet. Someday, the, the, the whole world will be put right. And the gray landscape of this planet will burst into the brilliant colors of the glory of God. But right now, we're living between those times. And so we see those colors, but we see them dimly, as through a glass, darkly, the Apostle Paul tells us. So comfort, forgiveness, rescue... We're not told how or when all these things will happen, but God promises that they will happen, that better days will come. And that changes our today, even though that tomorrow hasn't fully come yet. I mean, that's how promises work. Promises are about the future, but they change the present. You wake up on Wednesday morning and and realize you're not even halfway through the work week, which maybe makes you want to pull the covers over your head and go back to sleep. But then you remember that the weekend's coming, that your friend has tickets to the game. And the promise of that gets you out of bed, makes the work week a lot more bearable. Or, Or let's say you're between jobs. You've left one, but you don't have another. That's an uncomfortable place to be. What if you can't find a job? What if it takes a long time? What if it's worse than the one you left? 
But now imagine that, that a search firm comes along and after looking over your resume, they promise that they can get you a job in your field for more money than you were making before. Well, that makes the in-between time a little less stressful, doesn't it? You're not alone in it. For one thing, someone's helping you. And you can look forward to, to doing better on the other side of it. That's how promises work. They're about the future, but they change the present. We can make it through just about anything when we know someone's promised to be with us and to make things right. But, but here's the problem with promises. They're only as good as the person who makes them, right? I mean, anybody can make a promise. Keeping that promise is another story. I mean, we've all been disappointed by people who've made promises but not kept them. Whether parents or spouses or friends or employers. Isaiah actually names that problem right here in the text. He says, All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. People break their promises all the time. Sometimes because they're wicked and they intentionally lied to us or deceived us. Deceived us. But oftentimes it's because they're simply unable to keep the promise. They don't have the wisdom or the power or the resources to make it happen. Uh, parents can, can promise to take the family to Disney, but if they lose their job, or a hurricane hits, or a pandemic, they may not be able to keep that promise. Presidents can promise to improve the economy, or to keep us safe, or to preserve justice, but, but they can't always keep that promise. Sometimes it's because they lack the courage or the character to follow through, but often it's because there are forces beyond their control, the stock market, the weather, a rogue terrorist. You see, the problem with promises is that they're only as good as the person who makes them. But here's the thing about God's promises. He's able to keep them. Isaiah says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. God is not like us, Isaiah reminds us. When God makes a promise, you can count on it because God's character is unfailing and God's resources are unlimited. And in the verses that follow, Isaiah goes on to describe God's character and power. Some of the most profound and beautiful passages in all of Scripture. We don't have time to look at them all, which is why I wanted you to hear them, wanted you to hear them a little bit earlier. But, but listen to just a few of them again. And try to imagine how comforting these words must have been to people living in exile. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. 
God is both strong and good, Isaiah is telling us. When God promises to do something, you know he has the heart and the power to do it. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each one by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. God is not like us, fallen and fallible, well-meaning but weak-willed. And God is not like, like an idol, some earthly treasure that can so easily be tarnished or toppled over. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, and all-good. When God makes a promise, you can count on it. And that changes things. That changes our today. So what has God promised us in this in-between time in which we find ourselves, between a pre- and post-pandemic world, between the first and second coming of Christ? We've already talked about comfort and forgiveness and rescue, but there's one more promise here in Isaiah 40 that I think is especially relevant to us right now as we deal with yet another surge of COVID, as we approach the two-year mark of this pandemic. Let's look together at the final stanza, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, beginning at verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. We may feel tired and weary right now. I know I do. But God is neither. He is up to the task. We may not know what to do uh, to beat this virus or to, to nurture our children or to keep the church going, but God does. So here's what he promises. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Strength. That's what God promises for this in-between time. Along with comfort and forgiveness and rescue, he promises strength. When we're tired of the unfamiliar and the uncertain and the uncomfortable, God promises strength. Now, notice, he doesn't promise immunity. He doesn't promise freedom from trouble or heartache or injustice or viruses. We get ourselves in trouble sometimes when we try to hold God to promises he didn't make. God doesn't promise immunity from the trials of life. He doesn't promise health or wealth or success or or even safety in our usual sense of that word. What God promises is strength. The ability to carry on, to keep going, to make it to the finish line. And sometimes that strength makes us feel like we're flying 
above the fray, beyond the reach of all that hardship and heartache. They will soar on wings like eagles. The eagle was considered the strongest of the birds, riding the thermals effortlessly upward and onward. And sometimes we feel like that, like, like everything's clicking, like we're on top of our game, like God and, is with us in the moment. And as I look back over the past year or two, I can recall seasons, moments, when it felt like that, even here at Grace. When I think back on how God has enabled us to find new ways of doing ministry, when I think about some of the good and beautiful work we've been able to do online and in person, when I think about the faithfulness of so many of you, his people, and the new people he's brought to us, to our staff and to our congregation, I'm amazed and grateful for what God has done for us and through us. Pastorally, this past Advent was a season of great joy and meaning for me. Sometimes God gives us the strength to fly, to soar above it all. Sometimes God gives us the strength to run. You make good progress when you run, but it takes a lot of effort. And we've done plenty of that the past couple of years. Even though many of us have been working from home and maybe scaling back some activities, It's been an exhausting stretch, hasn't it? I mean, we feel as though we're working longer and harder than ever as parents, as students, as employees. But but God's given us the strength to do that. And he promises to continue giving us strength so that we can run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So God gives us strength sometimes to fly and to run, and sometimes God gives us just enough strength to walk, to put one foot in front of the other and just keep going one step, one day at a time. Now, as a, as, as a recreational runner, this, this passage has a lot of meaning for me. Uh, there are times as a runner when you feel like you're flying, you have found your stride, you're feeling good, like like you could go on forever. It's a great feeling. And sometimes life and faith are like that, like we're flying above it all, even in a pandemic. Most of the time, as a runner, you're just running, pushing yourself just enough to stay on pace, uh, feeling uh, the burn in your legs or your lungs, but, but not enough to slow you down or make you want to quit. And much of the time, life and faith is like that. Pressing through the ups and downs, making steady progress toward our goals. But sometimes, and as a runner, I hate to admit this, sometimes you find yourself walking Maybe it's an injury. Maybe it's the heat or the wind or a hill called heartbreak. For whatever reason, it's it's all you can do to put one foot in front of the other and just keep moving toward the finish line. And sometimes life and faith are like that. We're hurt. We're tired. The wind and the world is against us. 
And, and all we can do is keep going. And for some of us, maybe for all of us at points, COVID has been like that, one foot in front of the other. But here we are. By God's grace and in his strength, we've made it to 2022, made it through nearly two years of disappointment, disruption, and disease in the truest sense of that word. But God has been with us all along, as he promised. And he promises us strength for the rest of the way, however much strength we need and however long it takes. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, Isaiah says. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I don't know if you're flying or running or just putting one foot in front of the other these days, but I do know this. The promises of God give us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Let's think and pray about that for just a moment. We thank you, Lord, for these powerful words and promises. Thank you for inspiring them, preserving them, and bringing them to our attention today. I pray for each one listening today, Lord, that they might look to you today and find comfort in these difficult times, forgiveness for their sins and failures, rescue from whatever may be holding them back, and strength for the next leg of their journey. We pray it in the strong and gentle name of Jesus. Amen.